good afternoon, everyone. I hope you're doing fine. Uh, it's good to see more and more people are vaccinated and become have immunity uh, to this virus. But interestingly, more and more people in the church are vaccinated with some kind of vaccine and become immune to the gospel in its, its appeal. You know, if you have not noticed that uh, in Korea, I'm not talking about you in this particular church, but uh, yeah, in church in general, there's something happening uh, at this time. Uh, so uh, having said that, uh, you know, we should not be uh, satisfied with the Christianity, the kind of Christianity that is just reasonable to the human uh, understanding. Uh, it, it is much more. It is seeing beyond what we see and hoping beyond what we see and what we can reach in this world. Uh, that's what we believe. Uh, having said that, uh, we're uh, dealing with the book of uh, Second Timothy, uh, second uh, Sunday. Uh, we had a great start uh, by Jonathan Foster last Sunday. So we're in chapter 1 still, starting from verse 8, picking up where he left. Uh, so we'll uh, read from verse 8. So would you stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word? Uh, this is God's holy and inerrant uh, inspired word. Therefore, uh, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, not of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the, up, through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Figulus and Homogenus. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. And when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you will know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Thus end the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are gathered here as a church. Lord, we consider our Sunday worship as a blessing. Because through this worship, we are purified in our faith. And our faith is strengthened. We find out we have gone astray sometimes and we have been brought back uh, to the track by your grace, by your truth. Lord, we need your grace and power. We need your, we need your help and the hope, the true hope, the real hope that can only be found in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Lord, we need the sense of direction in our life. 
want to know where we're headed. We want to be reminded once again who we are as a result of what you have done through your son Christ Jesus. Otherwise, we'll be tossed around here and there and be defeated by the power of this world and by, by the power of Satan. Lord, we don't want to live a life like that. We want to live by faith. We want to be able to put our hands around what is called faith and touch it and feel it and be driven by its power. The faith that you have given to each one of us. Lord, please speak to us and cause us to see and understand the condition of our faith. Lord, we want to be convicted by your word. And we want to be convinced as well of your grace and power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the book of 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison in Rome. And, and he was waiting to be executed, to, to die. Now, for the condition of the Roman, a typical Roman prison in the first century, Pastor Jonathan gave us a good visual description last Sunday. Uh, by the way, if you have not noticed that he, he was not using any manuscript, he was you know, speaking from his memory, which I, I got jealous of that. The typical Roman prison, often called a dungeon, was a dark and filthy room, usually located underground. And the Apostle Paul had to deal with all kinds of, all sorts of difficulties, as you can imagine. You know, filthy environments and dark, uh, terrible people, you know, cri uh, criminals and killers, terrible people around him. And on top of that, he was left almost alone by this time. You know, he mentions uh, several times uh, in the scripture that his co-workers left him in ministry. For instance, in 2 Timothy alone, in chapter 4, he says, For Damas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. And in the same chapter, in verse 16, he says, at my first defense, no one, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. He was left alone. Almost everybody left him, deserted him. On top of that, he finds himself restless because of his concern for the church. He expresses anxiety for the church. The one who says, be anxious for nothing. He was anxious for the condition of the church as well as for his spiritual son, Timothy. He was aged, sick, left alone, and his fate was to die by execution. Timothy was also in a tough situation, not as badly as the Apostle Paul was, but he was in a tough situation as well. His mentor was in prison. He was working in the church at Ephesus, and he was faced with false teachers within and persecution outside. There was an intense persecution that began in AD 64. The apostle Paul was martyred sometime after AD 64 during Nero's reign. Now, Timothy was young and relatively inexperienced. He 
It might have been tempted just to quit and hide. Quit everything, everything and hide. Now in this context, the apostle wrote the second letter to his beloved successor in the Lord. So we'll look at the text under three headings. First, fearful situation. And secondly, faith that is fearless. And thirdly, God is on my side. Now, it doesn't seem to be relevant if you listen, I mean, if you heard these three titles, but I'll make that relevant at the end. And uh, so, so, fearful situation. Now, verse 8, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now here, the verse begins with this word, therefore. Now what does therefore mean? So we'll have to look at the, the previous verse, verse 7. Now verse 7, Paul said to Timothy, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now here, the apostle Paul charges Timothy not to be afraid. He says, do not fear. Because God gave us a spirit not of fear, and then he goes on to say, do not be ashamed in verse 8. So Paul says to Timothy, do not be ashamed of the gospel and do not be ashamed of my imprisonment because it is not only my sacred duty, but my honor to serve the Lord and to suffer for the cause of the gospel. In another place in the book of Romans, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Which implies there were many who were ashamed of the gospel. There were many who were scared because of persecution. There were many who were ashamed of the gospel because people looked down on Christians. And fear and shame, if you can think about it, Fear and shame are two most powerful things that can easily take over the control of our heart. The heart, as the centerpiece of a man, it has the power to control one's life. And it is usually influenced and even controlled by the circumstances. Therefore, the heart can easily fall prey to fear or shame or often both, to both by the circumstances. There are many fear factors or shame factors in life. And you can think of some, some of those factors in your own life as well. You know, things that you're afraid of and things that, that you feel ashamed. I'm talking about, when, I, when I'm talking about shame, I'm talking about misplaced shame. You know, shame has its right place in the Christian walk. But what we're talking about is misplaced shame. Now, for instance, in the cases of Paul and Timothy, there were factors like imprisonment, persecution, isolation, and impending execution. And they had been, been deserted by their co-workers and uncertainties from the human perspective and enemies within the church. And Paul and Timothy were separated. It was especially hard on Timothy because he was dependent on him so much. Paul was in Rome and Timothy was in Ephesus. 
So if their hearts were to be controlled by their circumstances, as uh, average people would do, they had all the reasons in the world to be scared. They had all the reasons to feel even ashamed. However, in situations like this, their faith was to be tested and strengthened instead of becoming afraid and shameful. Their faith was to be strengthened. Now, earlier in verse 5, Paul commanded Timothy his faith by saying, I am reminded of your sincere faith. He says, your faith has, is sincere and genuine. Now, what does genuine faith do? How does it respond in the face of fearful and shameful circumstances? How does it work? You may find yourself in fear or in shame because of a number of different circumstantial factors. I know that many Koreans these days they find themselves in great fear and shame. Many are afraid of the uncertainties, for instance, that lie ahead in their lives. Many young people are scared of their future. Many seem to be trapped in their struggle with feelings of shame because they feel that their lives are never good enough. When they're measured by the worldly standards, such as wealth or, or accomplishment, and I don't believe that Christians are naturally immune to this phenomenon. Well, when we're faced with fear or shame, it is the time in which the real picture of our faith is revealed. If we respond in fear and shame, that reveals that our, there's something wrong with our faith or something lacking with our faith. Also, by God's grace, it is time in which our faith can be challenged and, and strengthened and even purified. In a nutshell, genuine faith, sincere Christian faith, refuses worldly fear and misplaced shame because they are not from God. Genuine faith is not controlled by the circumstances. It chooses to be controlled by God's power and grace. So genuine faith, what God does not give, it refuses. It accepts only the things that God has given to us. That's genuine faith. And fear is not from God. Fear of him, yes, is from God. But fear of the world is not from God. It's from the world, it's from the devil, it's from your flesh. Misplaced shame, especially in the Korean culture through comparison and competition, that's not from God. That's from you. That's from the world. That's from the Satan. Now let's move on to the second uh, title, faith that is fearless. Now we'll look at uh, verses 9 through 12 closely, each verse, and see how Paul overcomes fear and shame with such fearless faith. And let's go to verse 9. He says, Who saved us and called us to, the, to a holy calling, not because of our works, 
but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Now, in this verse, we see, we, this is like summary statement of the Christian faith, what we believe. It talks about uh, our salvation, starting from God's election, his calling through the Holy Spirit, and his purpose, and through Christ Jesus, the gospel, before the ages began. So this is so rich, uh, richly charged verse. Now, what is the thing, or I should say, what is that one thing that the sincerely religious people fear the most? Now, sincerely religious people fear the most. It is the possibility of losing salvation. Sincerely religious people, they're afraid of losing their salvation. Uh, in the Netflix series uh, titled The Last Kingdom, if you uh, watch that uh, series, uh, Alfred, the king of uh, Wessex in England, um, he says as he was nearing death be because of his health issues, uh, he says, what if the door to heaven closes due to my merciless decision? See, he was afraid of losing his salvation because he's basing his, his his depending his salvation not cry on Christ alone, but on top of that on his works, how he lives. I cannot imagine the kind of fear I would have if my salvation depended even slightly on me, on my actions or decisions. Now Paul was talking about do not fear and do not be ashamed. Now. Why does he move on to talk about this gospel, this salvation, this election? Because he said, what he's trying to say is this. Now, the, the most important thing you can ever have is eternal life, the gift of eternal life. The reason we have fear or, or, or we have shame is because fear of not, not able to have what we want or fear of losing what we want to keep. That's the fear. That's the fear factor. That's the, that's the most common and great, uh, greatest fear factor in our lives. We're afraid that we might lose something that we cherish so much. We're afraid that we might not be able to get what we want. That's the, that's the, that's the, that's the reason for having fear or shame in this world. The Paul is saying the most important thing in life, the eternal life, you can never lose it because you never, you did not achieve it on your own initiative by your own action or effort. It says, it is God who saved us. It is God who called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. He says, there's nothing to be afraid because you have the most important thing in life already in Christ by God's grace. You can never lose it. Paul was filled with this truth in his heart that he was filled with praise and gratitude God to God instead of having fear or shame in his given circumstances. Even though he was in, in this fearful and probably shameful circumstances, he refused to have fear or shame because he knew what, we had, what he had. He had the eternal life. He was saved once and forever. We're saved by God's sovereign election. 
by his calling through the Holy Spirit to the gospel. And it is sustained not by our own efforts. That's a totally different thing. I mean, if, if God gave us you know, the, the gift of salvation, if, if that, that should be sustained by our own efforts, our own, own decisions and actions, that will surely scare us. Because you and I know very well that we make stupid and foolish decisions once in a while. But it is never sustained by me or by you. It is sustained by God's covenantal faithfulness. He is the surety and guarantor for our salvation. Therefore, there is nothing for Christians to be afraid as long as their salvation is concerned. The, the, most, the biggest issue, the most important issue in life is settled once and forever. All we can do is to recognize and appreciate that such a great salvation has been given to us by God's grace and it is ensured and secured by God's power and His faithfulness. And all we should do in response to such a great salvation is to praise Him and to thank Him and to rejoice in His covenantal faithfulness. God wants our hearts to be filled not with the fear of this world, but with praise and gratitude and fear of Him. Sometimes I ask myself this question, why does God love me? I don't ask myself, does God love me anymore? Because I'm settled with that issue, with that question, with that truth for a long time. God loves me. I don't, uh, there's no doubt about that. Not because I always feel God's love for me. I don't always feel God's love for me. But I know that God loves me because my faith in God's love is anchored not in my feelings but in his word. He says, Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I have the same confession because I have the same faith. I'm not as great as the Apostle Paul. Probably neither you are. But we have the same faith from the same God through the same spirit. So we should imitate his faith. We should imitate the way he lived and the way he died because we have the same faith. Now, how did he live and die? How did Paul live and die? Even in the face of impending execution and his own death. Paul hardly talked about death. I mean, if I were him, I would express at least what kind of condition he was in in the dungeon and the, 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 the impending execution and how he was handling and preparing for that in prayer or by faith. He never talked about himself, hardly talked about himself. It seems like he was not afraid of his own death. Why? Because his mind was so occupied by the gift of eternal life. He was looking beyond his death. In verse 10, he says, which now has been manifested through the, the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death. 
Now, in the face of impending his, his own impending death, he's talking about Jesus who abolished, abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. He's talking about true life, eternal life, and immortality. Yes, I am dying, but I'm not going to die because I'm going to live forever. It seems like he was not afraid of his own death at all. A dying man, a prisoner, tells Timothy, who was not a prisoner, who was a young, do not be afraid, even as I am not afraid. If someone does not fear death, and there is nothing that can scare him in this world. Think about this. If you're not afraid of death, there's nothing to be afraid of in this world because death is the greatest, biggest enemy. So I'd like to suggest one spiritual habit to you. Think about death. Think about your own death. I mean, God has given us the gift of imagination. Like we can imagine, you know. Imagine that you are dying. You're near death. I know, I, know, I know many of you are young and you don't want to imagine even your own death. But do that, please, because that will help you to strengthen your faith. And ask yourself this question, am I afraid? Ask yourself as a believer, am I afraid of death? I'm not talking about the pain of death. I'm talking about having to lose everything, having to leave everything behind in this world. Of course, I have to suffer, you know, big time through cancer or something, I might be afraid. I think I'll be afraid. But when I think about my own death before God and ask myself this question, am I afraid? My faith in the gospel and in eternal life, I should be able to say I am not afraid. I am not afraid of death. Because that's what we believe. We believe in not dying. We believe in our eternal life. This is why Paul, a man of faith, shouted to the face of death in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, oh death, where is your victory? I mean, everyone is afraid of death. I mean, have you, have you seen people dying of, of, of cancer or in hospital or something? You know, they're either... Uh, so afraid or, or so angry. They even curse doctors, you know. I'm not going to die. And then they, you know, they curse doctors and nurses. And many are so scared. And many want to just, just, just uh, falsely believe that I'm not dying. I'm not dying. But Paul, a man of faith, he, he faces death. He says, where is your victory? Where is your sting? He says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says death could not defeat him. He wasn't scared of death. He wasn't afraid of death. And if he was not afraid of death, there was nothing possibly could scare him in this world.
of the genuine and fearless faith is driven by and for the gospel. He says in verse 11, For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher. Now, I don't think, I'm, I don't think we, we should all become apostles or teachers. I mean, no one can become an apostle these days, but I don't think we should all become teachers. It does not even mean that we should attempt to do great things. However, it does mean that if you have genuine faith, or if you want to live by genuine faith, you and I should live for the great God and for his gospel, the gospel, his church. One of the, one of the uh, most common and prevalent diseases, spiritual diseases in the present world is what is called self-centeredness. In this world, everyone lives for himself, his own happiness, his own goals, his own comfort, his own future, his own plan, dreams. And the world, world, the world is saying, you know, that's what you're, that's what you're supposed to do. You li- you're supposed to live for yourself. Uh, do not hurt others, but live for yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. My dream, my plan, my comfort, my time, my something usually comes in the first place. You know what the Bible say says about uh, self-centeredness? It's an evil. It's an evil. Paul says in 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 3, But understand this. Then in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. There will come times of difficulties. Why? Because people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Self-centeredness or self-love comes before, even before, the love of money. Self-centeredness does not save people. It kills them. Faithful people, if you have noticed, are the ones who are called to serve God and his people. They're not self-centered. They're other-centered. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest blessings from God is is self-forgetfulness. Many are hurting and in fear or in shame because they're so self-centered. They're thinking about themselves so much and they're hurting so badly. One of the blessings for pastors, I believe, you know, I'm a pastor, I've been a pastor for more than 10 years, and I think it's a great privilege and great blessing from the Lord because, you know, uh, whenever I'm with people, most of the time I talk about the issues of others, never my own issues, because people hardly ask me about my, my own issues in my life. That doesn't mean that I don't have issues in my life. I have issues in my life, as much as you do. But my job does not allow me to talk about myself. My job forces me to talk about other people's life and their problems and think about their problems and, 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 and pray for their problems. And I'm forced to do that. And at first I was thinking like, I did not like that, but, but now... That really helped me because I don't feel as much pain as people do. People, uh, average people do because uh, you know I don't think about myself. I can't think about myself as much as I you know others think about themselves. 
that's the privilege of my job. So if you want considering uh, become a pastor, there's uh, such a blessing, you know. But anyways, uh, Paul was not too concerned about his own welfare, his own life, because he believed that God was taking care of his life. And as a matter of fact, he believed that God had already taken care of his life in eternity. Now, when you believe that your life is being taken care of by God, the one who is perfect and so loving, you're not going to be as anxious or fearful because your life is in God's hands. My life is in God's hands. Paul says in verse 12, I think it's a key verse, it's a key verse in, in, in this passage for today. He says in the middle, For I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He says, for I know whom I have believed. He's talking about God. He says, I know God. I know God who is faithful and who is almighty. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now, what is the thing that God has entrusted to Paul, you think? Interestingly, in the Korean translation, it is the opposite. I think because the original, uh, original text can be interpreted in both ways. In the Korean translation, it says, He is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to God. So it's the, the translation is the opposite. I think both are possible. Now, here, the thing that God has entrusted to Paul, I believe, is the gospel. To be more specific, it is the effectiveness of the gospel, namely its power and grace. Now, in this world, everything, you know, everything has the so-called expiration date. You know, your good medicine has expiration date. It expires. You know, good contract has expiration date. But the power and grace of the gospel has no expiration date. Because it is, its power and grace are guaranteed and sustained by the eternal God. The gospel's grace and power can forgive any sinner and save any, anyone who comes to him. In response to this, Paul has entrusted to God something as well. Now, what is the thing that Paul has entrusted to God? Sometimes we pray to God, God, take care of my job, take care of my health, take care of my family, take care of, uh, please, you know, uh, uh, take care of my plan or my possession. Not, that's not, those are not things that Paul has entrusted to God. He has entrusted to God his own soul. Not his, status, not his status, nor his possession, but his own soul to God. You know, at the end of the day, you are your soul. You're not a teacher, or you're not a husband, or you're not a Korean, or American, or white, yellow, or, or black, or even man or woman, or young or old. You're none of those. You are your own soul. 
your very being is your own soul. And Paul was keenly aware that his soul would go to heaven regardless of what would happen to his body. That was, that was why he wasn't afraid of his, his impending execution and death. And that was all that mattered to him. He says, when I know that my own soul is in, hand, in the hands of God, I will not be afraid of anything in this world. Because no harm can be done to my soul. They can kill my body. They can do harm to my body or to my status. They can do anything to my worldly everything. But nothing can be done to my own soul. Now I mentioned at the beginning of uh, my sermon that, you know, humanly reasonable Christianity is not, is not true Christianity. Think beyond that. Because sometimes we Christians are often so uh, consumed by our uh, uh, anxious uh, uh, care for uh, my body or my health, my job, my possession, my, you know, come on. At the end of the day, nothing will remain with you but your own soul. That was all that mattered to Paul. Now, thirdly, Paul knew that God was on his side. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's read verses 15 through 18, the last four verses. He's talking about some people. Some people who were harmful to him. Some people who were uh, gracious to him. There are two, two kinds of people. You are aware, Paul is talking to Timothy, that all who are, who are in Asia turned away from me. Now, so to speak, you know, not good people, you know. Among whom are uh, Sigillus and Homogenus. There are sort of, you know, bad people to Paul. On the other hand, there were some good people as well. May the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. He was assisting Paul while he was in prison. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. On that day, the day, the day of judgment. He's talking about the day of judgment. He's, he's saying that God will bless him because he blessed me. It sounds like it sounds as if those who deserted Paul deserted God. Do you feel the same way? Those who deserted Paul deserted God. And those who helped Paul would be rewarded by God. And I don't think Paul is being spiritually haughty or overbearing in this comment. Since he was walking so closely with God for such a long time, he felt one with God. He, he, he sensed God being his father and his God. And I, I think this is the spiritual state one can arrive at only when he walks with God so closely for a long time. Do you have the, do you have the confidence that those who harm you and hurt you would be punished by your heavenly father because hatred is, is a sign of love in certain contexts 
On the other hand, those believers who treat you well and bless you will be rewarded. That's what Paul is talking about. Let me give you a story. My daughter, uh, she went to college in the state for four years. I intentionally sent her to a Christian college, Reformed Christian college, in which, she, according to what she says, she had the most miserable four years in, the, in, in, in college out of her 27-year-old life. can't tell you all the details you know it was, it was the college wasn't bad but she has suffered a lot during those four years but there was a couple uh to make a long story short there was a couple a student couple who treated her well and cared for her and kind of uh, took care of her while she was suffering from some terrible situations in college and several years ago this couple korean american husband and Caucasian wife, they visited Korea with their little baby. And my wife and I asked them uh, to meet with us, and I took them out to dinner to a nice restaurant. And to Americans, in the, in the American culture, it's just something awkward, but we even gave them a, a money envelope. It's the Korean way of, of showing appreciation, deep appreciation, because loving and protecting my daughter while she was in suffering. That means a lot to me because I'm her, her dad. I'm a father. You know, I, t I, 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 I express my appreciation by saying thank you for looking after, my own, looking after my daughter while she was suffering, you know. I'd like to, this is a small token of my appreciation. In, on the other hand, I was angry at those who mistreated her while she was at college. Now think about it. I'm a fallen human being. But you have perfect heavenly father who looks after you. He's angry at those who hurt you and harm you unreasonably. But he will bless those who bless you especially those believers who bless you, he will bless them. He will reward them. Have this confidence. Genuine faith believe that God is on my side. Not selfishly. Not out of self-centeredness. Self, self you know what I'm talking about? God is my loving father. I'm his beloved child in Christ. He is on my side. I mean, that doesn't mean that we always behave you know, well, you know, righteously. Sometimes we do, you know, things wrong and he will spank us out of, out of love, but he's on our side, always. Sometimes people feel that God is against me. Never. Never. Never is he against you. He's always on your side in Christ because you have been adopted as his child. No parents are against their children. I'm talking about normal, uh, sane parents, not insane parents. When you say God is against me, you know what you're talking, what you're saying, actually. God is never against you. He's always for you. 
genuine faith enables its possessor to view and regard God for who he really is. He is your loving father who loves you to the point of giving and sacrificing his own, only son for you. Not because, as I said, we're always good or we, we're always right, but because we're his beloved children in Christ. When I entertain this thought, not just in my head, but in my heart, when I truly believe and feel that he's my loving father, my heart automatically is filled with praise and gratitude. There's no place for fear or shame. When your heart is, is filled with praise and gratitude for God and tears in your eyes, there is no place for fear and shame. Because perfect love drives out fear. You need this faith as much as I do. But remember, we have the same faith the Apostle Paul had received. But we want to sharpen it, strengthen it, usually through suffering, usually through isolation or suffering. But we should get there to the point that we can believe that God is my father, he's my loving father, he's on my side, he's taking care of me, he's watching over me. There's nothing to be afraid in this world. That's what he wants us to have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who we are. Lord, we say we are sinners, which is true. Undeserved sinners, yes, amen. But at the, at the same time, we are your beloved children. By your sovereign election, not through human participation, but by your own work, your own election, your own choosing. Our Savior Christ Jesus worked on the cross. Lord, Jesus says, have peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. Do not be afraid. Have faith. Lord, throughout this week, when we find ourselves bombarded with all kinds of fear factors and shame factors in this world, Help us to have the courage by faith to refute them and to, to say in, in, in their face that you, these are not from God. Therefore, I will refute them. But I'd like to, we, we, want to, we want to maintain and we want to make sure that our hearts are filled with praise and gratitude for you. We want to begin our day in the morning by praising you, by thanking you, by by being reminded of the gospel and its power and grace and by our eternal life how much we have been blessed the great salvation that we have we cannot lose it help us not to neglect such a great salvation Help us to look, to look beyond this world. We're so consumed 
by what we see. We're so obsessed, obsessed with what we see and what we can have in this world. But Lord, what is unseen is much more important than what is seen. Lord, thank you for being our loving Father. Thank you that we can have such confidence that we can overcome, overcome any fear, even the fear of death in this world. Because we belong to the living God as living people, to the living Savior, Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.